Our gospel this morning is from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus led up led by the spirit into the wilderness was to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bury you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what uh, had been spoken through the prophets Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zephyr and land of Naphtali on the road to the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I will confess this morning that lately I have been tempted to quit social media entirely, which according to my definition to the kids, who is it hurting? Nobody, but probably myself, so it probably isn't such a bad temptation. Um, I feel that my life and my spirit might be better if periodically throughout the day I didn't look at Facebook or Instagram, and my privacy might be better protected. However, I have yet to do it. Um, I know others of you might have, and I say, good for you, and pray for me. (laughs) In spite of my best intentions, I keep going back, and periodically I find reasons why. Because as much as it can be annoying, it's fun to connect with people in this digital way and to see what's going on in their lives. And periodically people pose questions that just intrigue me so much that I end up writing a sermon about it. So here you go. On Friday afternoon, a friend of mine who I worked with at camp in college, which was like almost 20 years ago, which is crazy, wrote this. He said, not to stir the pot, but what the heck, it's Friday. I have an honest question for my friends who believe in a benevolent God. Non-believers, please resist commenting. How do you square thanking a benevolent God for sparing you from a disaster that befalls someone else? 
or for rescuing you from severe pain that you have endured for a long time. The latest example of this is the young girl in Wisconsin. I see people praising and thanking God that she was found, but this seems crazy. She had to watch her parents get blown away with a shotgun. Where was God then? She had to endure months of absolute hell. Where was God then? Waiting for the right time? Letting her experience pain and trauma so she could be a better person? And the more classic example of this is the tornado or hurricane survivor thanking God for sparing me, though my neighbor was killed. If God gets the credit for saving me, doesn't God have to take responsibility for the pain and suffering of those who were not spared? Please explain your viewpoint and how you reason this out. And for the record, I believe in God, period. Well, as you can imagine, there were plenty of responses. Yes, even non-believers chimed in. Non-believers said, really, can I please comment? And then my friend gave them permission. There was a heavy discussion going on on this. And it is a great question because it names the tension of faith and the complexity of life. And where is God in the midst of it all? As a congregation, as we've been contemplating the question of why Jesus, I believe that this question kind of gets at the heart of this. Where is Jesus in the midst of our pain and struggles? Where is God when we are in the wilderness? Why Jesus when life can be so hard? So Jamie Kloss being found alive and relatively well, as far as we know so far, is one of those events that captures our attention, and for good reason. Because it's a story that began as such horrible bad news and turned into good news. It is both heartbreaking and tragic and praiseworthy and miraculous. It is both our greatest fear happening and our biggest hope all in one incident to a 13-year-old girl and her family. And as I've listened to the story of what happened for Jamie's great escape, I keep shaking my head in both surprise and thanksgiving, and I know I don't do it alone. I mean, everything seemed to line up correctly. The fact that she was able to get out on that day, and this woman who wasn't supposed to be at her cabin happened to be there walking her dog and found Jamie. And to make it even better, I mean, the fact that she was a social worker trained in trauma, I said to someone on Tuesday morning, it just seems too good to be true. And that individual said, yes, it is God at work. And I had to agree. It does seem as if God's hand has been in the midst of it all, and we indeed can give thanks and praise to God for this. And then, As soon as I do that, as soon as I start to say things and praise to God for this, other images float to my mind and into my head. My friend's question becomes relevant. So as we thank God for Jamie, what about all of those other kids who weren't found? I was raised at the time where on the back of our milk cartons, there were faces of missing children, some of whom were never found. And I wonder, was God not with them? Did God not provide that miracle? And why 
Did their families not believe enough? Did they not pray enough? Did they not trust enough? All of those questions we ask ourselves with this tension of good news and bad news. Where is God? Jacob Wetterling was just one year younger than me when he disappeared at the age of 11. As a 12-year-old, I remember lying in bed at night and begging God that he might be found. I begged God to bring him home to safety. I begged God that he would come home. And I know I didn't pray alone. His family prayed. I think almost all of Minnesota prayed. Our country prayed. I would gather people around the world, prayed for him. It was not a matter of, faith, matter of faithfulness and prayer. We had enough faith. So why Jamie and not Jacob why Jamie and not her parents? Why do some get a happy ending and others don't? And where is God? Well, of course, this is a question that people write entire books about. <laughs> I will spare you that. Um, I'm hoping to eat lunch sometime today, and I think you are too. But I do believe that our gospel lesson does help us understand a little bit about where is God in the midst of all of this. See, in our gospel for today, Jesus is taken into the wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible is a significant place. The wilderness is a place where almost everyone of importance goes at some time in their journey. So there's no question that Jesus would go there too. But the wilderness is not easy. In fact, life is hard in the wilderness. It is barren and the land is hard. There is temptation in the wilderness. There is evil in the wilderness. But there's something else we know about the wilderness from the biblical story. And it's this. God is there. God is in the wilderness. Jesus was not the first person, as I said, to enter the wilderness. Moses entered it. Elijah entered it. The people of Israel entered the wilderness, and then they lived there for 40 years. And all of them experienced the presence of God in the wilderness. God showed up for Moses in a burning bush. God showed up for Elijah in some hot cakes he got to eat and also in a still small voice that reminded him that he was not alone. And God showed up for the Israelites, appearing to them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And just like for anyone who's in the wilderness, life was not easy. The people whined and complained and they got blistered and they hungered and thirsted and they got sick and some people died. It's an easy place to lose hope and to lose faith and to give up. But the wilderness is also a place where we can learn about who we are and where God is. See, for the people of Israel, it was a place where they learned that they were no longer slaves, but were indeed free people, that they were God's people. And they also learned to trust in God who provided them with food and water and leadership and everything they needed to survive out in the wilderness. And while they still were tempted and fell short and forgot about God, they had this reminder every day to look out at this pillar of cloud by day, this pillar of fire by night that told them, you are not alone. I am with you. I will not leave you no matter what. God is there in the wilderness. 
Jamie Kloss entered the wilderness without any chance to prepare. She was snatched into it by a man who hurt her and hurt the people she loved most. And we probably will never understand why. But why really isn't the question here. The, why, the question is, where is God? And I believe that God was right there in the wilderness with Jamie, somehow giving her courage, giving her strength, guiding her through. And I also believe that God was with Jacob Wetterling and his family when they entered the wilderness in a similar fashion, as do all children who end up missing. God is there in life, in death, when miracles happen, when they don't, God is in the wilderness so we can know we are never alone. We are told in our scripture today that God or the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, telling him to stay there, experience the hunger, the hurt, the pain, be there, Jesus. And it's weird that the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out there, but I can't help but think the reason this happens is because God knows that we need to know that Jesus has been there too. That Jesus has walked that difficult path in the barren lands of the wilderness. And sometimes all we need in the midst of our wilderness adventure or journey is just one person to show up for us. Or one person to be there for us. And indeed, people do die in the wilderness. Moses died in the wilderness, but it wasn't because God wasn't with him. God was. I did answer my friend on Facebook. I said this. For me, as a Christian, I believe we can best see God in the person of Jesus. And Jesus enters the vulnerability of human life and endures the pain and suffering just like everyone else does. We see God most clearly on the cross, which tells me that in the death of Jamie's parents, God was with them and God was with Jamie. In the suffering and pain that she endured, God was with Jamie. And in her hopeful rescue, God was with Jamie. Some people are healed in the Bible and some people are not, and I don't know why. It causes attention in me, and yet... I think the reason we give thanks is because when saving hope and love happen, what else can we do but give thanks to God? Because when suffering happens and pain and death happens, I also believe that we can know this, that God is there too. So my dear friends, to the question why Jesus, because Jesus has been there in the pain, in the suffering, and in the joy and the hope. Jesus has been into the wilderness, letting us know that when we are there, we are never alone. Amen.